friends. Welcome to the Redeemer Queen's Park podcast. Redeemer exists to help connect Jesus to people, people to community, and community to mission. We gather to worship God and fellowship with one another on Saturday afternoons at three. If you ever have any questions or if we could be of help in any way at all, then please give us a shout at hello at redeemerqp.com. We hope you'll be encouraged as you hear another one of our Bible talks. Let's listen to the next episode. Thank you, Louise. Jesus, in his own words, is where we are for these, uh, these next couple of weeks in this current collection of talks. A lot of people have opinions about Jesus. Um, you might even be aware or unaware of what you think of this person who's lived. Jesus, in his own words, he, we have our own opinions, don't we? We have our own ideas and our own claims, what Jesus was probably like, what Jesus said, what Jesus did. But we don't have to wonder. We don't have to leave it up for question. We can just go right into the text and we can allow Jesus to speak for himself. Like in any good relationship, uh, you don't have to impose um, your beliefs onto another person. You can just let that person speak. And here he is speaking for himself this afternoon. Let let me lead you into this idea that Jesus is the, the bread of life with this idea. We are consumers. Obviously, we are consumers. We consume food for our bodies when we're hungry. We consume tea and coffee when we need a little boost. We consume news and information because we need to know what's going on. We consume based on our needs. We even use consuming language. When we're hungry, we might say, I'm famished. When we read a good book, you might tell a friend, oh, I devoured it. Oh, I just devoured it. It was great. When you hear a sharp idea, or something innovative, you might even say, you know what, that's, that's food for thought. I'm going to go away. I'm going to chew on that. We bring things into us because we have needs inside of us that we need to be met. Food because we lack, we're hungry. Information when we are ignorant and we need to understand. But it's not only our stomachs and our minds that have needs. We have hungry souls as well. We have a soul hunger. We walk into this place this afternoon with a soul hunger, and soul needs as well. Deep down inside in each and every one of us, we all have some some deep, deep desires based in needs that we all want met. Some of us just wish we had a little money in the bank account. Some of us just wish we had somebody faithful to walk, walk through life with. Some of us, we just want our name up in lights. Whatever our thing is, we all have these soul cravings, if you will. You don't have to take it from me. Listen to Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey had something to say. He says, I wish that everyone could get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed so they would know that's not the answer. You know, the book of Ecclesiastes talks about we have these big hopes, these big dreams, these big aspirations. Our souls, they want some major, major stuff out of life. But the problem with many of us in this room is we actually don't possess the resources, the skills, and the talents to chase all those dreams out to their logical conclusion and just to see that they're bankrupt. Many of those roads that we're on actually just won't land where we think. I mean, think about this guy. I mean, this guy probably had plenty of money, probably had plenty of fame. Yeah, he knew what it was to have his name up in lights. And that's his feeling. How about the next one? Russell Brand, he says, drugs and alcohol are not my problem. Reality is my problem. Drugs and alcohol are my solution to fill up a hole inside of me. We have hungry souls. 
We have hungry souls. Our souls have their own cravings. Our souls have their own longings. They have their own needs. They have their own hunger. Soul hunger. Soul hunger. It's real. You might have thought about it for the first time, but it's evident in our emotions and our reactions. Just like some of us get a little moody and grumpy when we need something to eat physically, so our souls, we get a little moody and grumpy and we, we kind of lash out and we splash out emotionally and spiritually. Our soul hunger is revealed in how we miss our friends and our family during lockdown. Our souls were aching. We're just dying for some contact. Soul hunger is why we lock on to people and struggle to let go. It's why we can get into issues like codependency. Soul hunger. Souls are eager to lock down onto someone. Soul hunger is why we are still hungry, no matter what we toss into that soul. It feels like there is a hole inside of us that we just can't fill up. And for our soul hunger, it's good news this afternoon, friends. Jesus claims to be our soul food. Soul food. The way our souls are met. The way our souls are nourished. The way our souls are satisfied. Yeah, so if you're looking for a title, it's this, I am the bread of life, or perhaps more colloquially, soul food. That's what Jesus offers us this afternoon. Enough by way of introduction, let's move towards the text. Jesus claims to be the bread that our souls hunger for. Having Jesus and feeding on Jesus is the only thing that will actually satisfy the void inside of us. Our encounter with Jesus takes place in John chapter 6. It's the second most told story in the life of Jesus. You might have even heard of this one as the feeding of the 5,000. Let's have a look at the setting and context. And if you have a Bible open, it'd be great because we're just going to chat our way through it. First, notice in these first four verses, the author gives us some of the details and the background information for this encounter with Jesus. We can see how this whole thing is set up. We need to find some context for what's going on here because when the author says sometime after this, we actually learn it's been a whole year since the last chapter. A whole year fits between the end of chapter 5 and the start of chapter 6. It's the time of the Jewish Passover again. Expectations for deliverance are running high. There's a great crowd gathered around because of the signs that Jesus had performed. You know, the Gospel of John tells us about these seven different signs that Jesus performed. And you get to the end of the book, and the author tells us why he gave us these things. He says, look, all of this was written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. Well, that helps us with the context. He's revealing himself, this Jesus. He's revealing himself through various signs, and word about him was getting around He's probably trending on Twitter if that was a thing. He was certainly headlining in some papers, but word of mouth on the high street and neighbor to neighbor was certainly starting to make its way around. Word was getting around, and some people were believing in Jesus. Some people were coming to Jesus. How about verses 5 through 9? It shows us the problem and the question that emerges. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for this many people to eat? But then we learn in verse 6, he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. I think it's helpful for us to know that Jesus looked at crowds of people with compassion, wondering who Jesus is, wondering what Jesus is like in his own words, right? I mean, we can just kind of shelve our own opinions for a few minutes. We can just take it from him. Mark tells us that Jesus looked at the crowd with compassion. The Bible tells us that Jesus already knew what he was going to do in this moment. And part of what we learn as we read these, part, these verses of the Bible is that Jesus was constantly seeking out the faith in the lives of his followers. 
Some of us even need to hear that today. So that's part of what Jesus was up to this last week with us. He was seeking to cultivate faith inside of us. He was putting us in opportunities where we could believe in him or we could not. He was no doubt putting Philip on the spot. You see the interaction goes. Philip doesn't know what to do. He seems overwhelmed with the details of life. Andrew finds this kid, and he has a possible solution, but he doesn't think it's going to do much good. The point is that Jesus is seeking out faith in the lives of his followers. Well, the sign itself is in verses 10 to 13. Jesus said, make the people sit down. Author tells us, look, there's plenty of grass in that place. So they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Some would want to say here, you actually have men. And it's hard for me to imagine this, like 5,000 dudes hanging out on a hillside all getting along just fine, right? I'm, I'm certainly wondering what 5,000 single dudes are out and about. And so then if we, got some, if we got some dads involved, I can't imagine them getting away with the day pass. So it's like 5,000 men plus some women plus some children have got to be gathered around. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had gone through and all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them up, filled 12 baskets. You remember, Jesus had 12 followers, 12 baskets with the pieces and five barley loaves left over for those who had eaten. In typical, non-dramatic, dramatic fashion, Jesus did the unthinkable. He asked everybody to be sit down. The author indicates 5,000. They're probably thinking 5,000 plus plus are present. And Jesus thanked the Father in heaven for providing. And then Jesus started to break it up. And I mean, working with the equivalent of like the, the Sainsbury's lunch deal, Jesus just starts to feed. And he just keeps reaching into the basket, and there's always some more to give. And he just goes on and on. That kind of got you. I see you right there. Okay. So he just goes on and on and on and on and on. And he just, he's feeding people. He began to give out, and he kept giving out, and he kept going until however many thousand people, they all had enough to eat. This is Jesus, very eco-conscious, telling everybody to gather up what's left. Perhaps he actually presented these to each of his 12 disciples that he was trying to draw the faith out of them. Send them home with this sign. I can provide. Next time we run into this, you don't have to wonder. You can just look to me. You can do it, Jesus. You can do all things. You can feed all these people. You can feed the whole world right now if you wanted to. You can provide. Today, Jesus does not sort of provide for people. In a spiritual sense, Jesus provides in superabundance. There's no barely getting by in a spiritual sense with this Jesus. No, we learn through the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. There's superabundance with this Jesus. He doesn't provide just enough grace to have our sins barely covered. Now he's an incredible savior. He's able to bring us all the way. But in this situation, there's following Jesus into a situation, and look how it goes for people. You follow Jesus in, you don't quite know how it's gonna turn out, and you see God showing up, and God providing, God revealing his character through superabundance in this situation right here. Check out how they respond. You might find yourself in what happens next. Verses 14 and 15. After the people saw the sign that he performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who's come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to make him a king by force, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. All right, so think this through. Jesus is the king who refused to become their king by force. 
He has his terms and conditions, if you will. He's not up to our likings or preferences. He's not waiting on us to crown him, so to speak. People liked what they were seeing and getting from Jesus first to think about it. I mean, you read Gospel of John alone. I mean, we'd all be flocking to him. First, Jesus turned water into vats of good wine. Then he healed an official son from 15 miles away. Then he healed someone who was born crippled for 38 years. He's just taking care of people. Now he fed maybe 12, maybe 15,000 people, and people were finding Jesus to be very useful. But they were missing the real Jesus, whom all these signs pointed to. And I don't know about you, but I experienced this in my own life. Sometimes I find Jesus to be useful, but I don't necessarily always find him to be beautiful. Have you noticed this? Maybe, maybe you have some of this in, in your own humanity. Sometimes we, we actually come to him for the things we get from him. We actually don't come to him for him. Well, the giver is always greater than the gifts, right? I mean, you think about any Christmas you've ever been a part of, and if you ever had the joy of somebody passing a gift your way, I mean, however nice the nicest gift is, the, the, the gift, it ultimately redirects you to the giver, I mean, having whatever you have is great, but man, the one who could put that in your hands, that giver is certainly greater than that gift, yeah? That's what Jesus is leading us out to. The giver is always greater than the gifts. Some people were following Jesus for what they could get from Jesus, and Jesus won't have anything to do with it because he's constantly trying to draw that faith out of the lives of his followers. Jesus is into faith. He's not really into fascination. And you might even have your own ideas about Jesus. You might be like, look, he's, he's actually pretty incredible. Like you might just write, like reading philosophy, and when you read Jesus, you find something, you find someone that no other philosophy can touch. But he's after faith, not mere fascination. Jesus won't allow himself to be crowned king on our terms and our conditions. Just an implicit question from the text this afternoon then is, man, how are we doing there? Do we come to Jesus for what we can get from Jesus? Or do we come for Jesus for who he actually is? Are we in it for the gifts? Are we in it for the giver? Verses 25 and 25, 29, Jesus reveals their deep need. When they found the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I say to you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. And he gives, he gives them this bit, and, it, and we might not be able to get all the way through it in verse 29. He says, 27, he says, Do not work for the food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then he, they asked him, What must we do to do the works that God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one in whom he sent. He's after faith. He wants our faith. His followers found him and they began talking about what happened. And Jesus is telling them the problem. If you're getting lost at this point, just dial back into this. And Jesus is saying, here's the problem. You're missing me. You're coming to me because I fed your hungry stomach. But Jesus is saying, there's another kind of hunger that I'm trying to get you feeling. These signs are supposed to help you wake up to that grumble in your soul to help you see that you have a hungry soul. And then they dive into this deep Q&A with Jesus. It's a long discourse. You need to go home, read all of John chapter 6 to see it. They're asking questions like, well, what, what should we do? What's it going to take to please God? 
And whereas the first question and answer interaction with Jesus had with his disciples, it proved their inability to provide bread for people. This second Q&A interaction that Jesus had with his followers, it reveals their need to receive the bread that Jesus provides by grace alone. The idea through this discourse is that you can't earn this bread that Jesus offers. No one's worthy of this bread. In fact, we're all just hungry. And Jesus is the only one that has the way. And he just gives it out. He gives it by grace. Undeserved. He just gives it to us. But it must be received and consumed in faith. Jesus, there's so much in his answer, believe. I hope you can see it right there. There's so much in that word, believe, that he invites us to in verse 29. Well, finally then, just having a look at the text in verse 35, Jesus claims to be soul food. Jesus declares, look, I'm the bread of life. I'm I'm what what we've been building up to this whole time. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. He makes what is hidden up until this point really plain for all to see. The bread of life. The bread that Jim Carrey was looking for, right? The, The bread that Russell Brand was looking for. Jesus is saying, I'm that bread that you're looking for when your soul is grumbling and hungry. Jesus is saying, you were made for those desires to be met. And Jesus is saying, I'm the end that you're looking for, soul food. Look, it's no coincidence that this Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, as prophesied hundreds of years ago in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. The word became flesh and we broke it. It's no coincidence about that either. It was all planned out by the Lord for our redemption. I wonder if we can just settle into this just a little more as we, if I share with you just two big truths that we learn as we kind of study our way through the Bible this afternoon. Lord, would you help us to hear and trust and obey what you're saying to us in this moment? Our souls have a hunger that only Jesus can satisfy. So so two big ideas that can make the difference in this week. First one is this, Jesus is the bread maker that we've been waiting for. I wonder if you can see him. I wonder if you can look at him right here. He's the bread maker we've been waiting for. And if you would be a student of scripture, and if you would like know a lot of the themes of the Old Testament, there's actually some stuff in this text that would really stand out to you right now. Because you'd see that God's people, they have an interesting relationship when it comes to bread. They've actually been hungry for bread before. They've actually looked for a leader who can provide physical bread for them. But now, through Jesus, we learn that bread was aimed at becoming the bread of life all along. Here we see Jesus celebrating the the Passover festivities as a Jew. And this should lead all of us to consider that first Passover that took place. Years earlier, Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt as God was unfolding that massive act of redemption. As God was practicing justice against all the injustices of the day, he was protecting his people. He was fighting for his people. And Jesus, this Jewish man at Passover time, he's intentionally repeating many of the Passover themes. It wouldn't be lost on you if you were sitting on that hillside. Not if you're aware of some of the things going on in the cultural rhythms of the day. It it wouldn't be lost on you when you saw another Jewish man up on the side of a hill providing food for everybody who was gathered around. 
Oh, this was baked deep into their spiritual consciousness. This was part of their spiritual imagination and how they understood the world. Jesus intentionally repeating many of these things. The multitude of the people gathered on a green hill are not unlike the multitude of God's people scattered across the desert. And Jesus fed them with heavenly bread. Following the feeding, Jesus walked on water before engaging in heady teaching. Even Jesus' question in verse 5, it echoes Moses' question from Numbers eleven thirteen: Where can I find enough meat to feed all these people? Jesus intentionally recreates and fulfills images from Israel's past. And the point is that Jesus is the fulfillment of a beautiful story of redemption. He's helping people see when God was bre- breaking your ancestors out of bondage, I was there. He's helping these people realize that he has been a work of their liberation all along. Luis, as as you come on up, let me give you this last idea. And we're actually going to move to a time of actually taking the Lord's Supper right here this afternoon. If you could just focus the eyes of your heart on this idea that Jesus is soul food. There's no middle ground when it comes to believing in this Jesus. He claims to be the bread of life. But that bread is either consumed or or it's left. But there's no middle ground. There's no like, I'm kind of in on this, or you're actually all the way out. We're either all in or we're all out. So when you eat, think, think, think about this. There's no middle ground when it comes to this Jesus then. Just like there's no middle ground when it comes to what's going to happen at dinner tonight. There's no middle ground when it comes to getting around some food. You're not like, I'm kind of eating dinner right now, or I'm not eating dinner right now. You're either, you're either in or you're out. And you know by how hungry you stay. So think about it like this. Thinking about eating is not the same thing as eating. Knowing nutritional facts is not the same thing as eating. And understanding how food is processed by the body is not the same thing as eating. And Jesus tells us this, this bread must be eaten. He tells us we must believe. To eat Jesus then is to believe in Jesus. As strange as that might sound, I get it. To believe is to internalize the truth about Jesus. It's to receive him into your soul. So so allow that to unfold. Thinking about Jesus then is not the same thing as believing in Jesus. There's a difference. Knowing facts about this Jesus is not the same thing as believing in this Jesus. And understanding, listen Christians, listen even leaders in the community, understanding how Jesus saves a person from their sins is not the same thing as believing in this Jesus. Believing in Jesus is about confessing that only Jesus can fill the emptiness inside of you. So when you believe in him, you get honest about that need that you have. Only Jesus can meet the growling of your soul. Bring St. Augustine back in for some testimony here. St. Augustine said it like this. You might feel it this afternoon. You have made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. A little more eloquent than what Jim Carrey was driving after, but the, the heartbeat's the same. God's the answer. He's the food that our souls are hungry for. And the only way, the only way, friend, the only way you can enjoy Jesus as the bread of your soul is because he died for you. Let's go there. The only way that you get to enjoy any physical bread 
is through the death of something else. If you have a hamburger tonight or tomorrow, maybe sometime in the next week, sorry, vegans. Um, look, a cow and some, 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 some grain stalks, they, they've got to go down for you to have that hamburger in your hands, in your mouth, and in your stomach. The only thing you eat that doesn't require death is the occasional mineral. Either things die for you so you can eat them and live, or you die. That's how this thing goes. This is understood when you live on a farm. It's understood when you might be able to sit on the side of a green hill. It's just a little harder to understand when you have to sit in a school hall and we got Tesco's down the street. But Jesus is the bread given for the life of the world. In John chapter 10, we see Jesus is the good shepherd who gives his life for his sheep. He dies so they may live. In John chapter 11, Jesus is the corn of wheat that falls into the ground and dies. In John chapter 12, Jesus is the one who dies so that a nation might live. And here we are. He gives the flesh of his body to save the life of the world. So if you're here this afternoon and you're not a Christian, I encourage you, could you come to terms with Jesus as the bread of God? Could you come to terms with Jesus as bread sent from heaven? Could you gra grasp that idea that we do have these grumblings inside of us? And it doesn't matter how much money hits the account. It doesn't matter how sweet the postcode gets. It doesn't matter where we go on holiday. Nothing can seem to satisfy this deep, deep desire in us. Could we receive today Jesus as this bread, the bread of life? If you're here this afternoon and you are a Christian, look, it's, it's coming back to basics again and again and again. The life that we live is ours only because Jesus is the bread that died for us. So let's feed on Jesus. Let's be sustained by Jesus. Let's have life in Jesus. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the person who takes refuge in him. Because a full stomach or a full mind is temporary, but a full soul lasts forever. And here's what we want to do next. We actually want to have an opportunity to enjoy this together through the Lord's Supper. Our elders and their wives are going to be at the back of the room. They're going to be up here in just a moment. Before going to the cross for Jesus to die for the sins of everyone who would believe in him, Jesus gathered with his followers in an upper room. And it was another Passover, and Jesus was celebrating this meal yet again. And this time, Jesus wasn't providing bread that would help them think about their souls. Jesus was reinterpreting the whole experience for him once and for all. The supper that Jesus shared with his followers was intended to help them make some connections. Whereas they, they had that unleavened bread, they had that little, maybe even tasteless wafer because they had, to, they had to go because the angel of death was coming through. Jesus is saying, I'm actually gonna take this angel of death head on. I'm gonna absorb those body blows into my own life. We saw this last week as we considered how Jesus is the resurrection, the truth, and the life. Jesus stood with them that night and he reinterpreted that precious meal. He said, this is my body and it's gonna be broken for you. And he tore physical bread and he passed it around the table and they ate. And then Jesus held up the wine represented in the juice. And he says, listen, this is my blood and it's spilled for you. The Bible tells us they, they passed the cup and they drank. Two elements, bread for his righteous life 
and the, the wine or the juice for his sacrificial death for us. It's a, it's a meal. And it's a meal intended to be celebrated for the unity of the church. When the church takes this and when the church celebrates this together, it's another way we affirm through our physical actions our faith that's real and internal. So as uh, they come through in just a moment, as they, as they come through, just some baskets are going to be passed by. And it's going to be these little plastic cups. It's going to have some, uh, going to have some super sweet juice, right? Um, and it's going to have this little, like, tasteless wafer, right? And you'll, you'll figure it out. Look, it's going to be passed around. And if you're here this afternoon, and if you're not a Christian, then we encourage you in this moment, just, look, just let that pass by. Because what happens right here, this is for the church. And if you're here this afternoon and you're not a Christian, if you wouldn't consider Jesus to be your Savior and Lord, we encourage you to just pass that basket on by. But don't let the invitation of this moment pass you by. In this moment, receive this bread of life that's been shared with you. Consume it right now. Believe in him. And let's have a chat after this or sometime in the next week. Let's get together and let's be talking about it. And then next time, next month, when we do this again, you take and you eat with the church as the church in celebration. And Christians, as this is passed by, go ahead and grab one out for yourself. Everyone that's believing, Jesus says, yeah, Jesus is my Savior. And yeah, Jesus is the Lord. I've consumed this bread of life. That's what we say when we take one of these out of the basket here in a moment. As you take one out of the basket, pass it on by. Take a moment to reflect, to be grateful, and even to pray, even with the words that the Apostle Paul gave us in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. Let's just take a moment to settle in as we reflect. So our elders and their wives, they're going to come and they're going to serve us. You don't have to consume it just yet. Just hold it with you. We'll just have a few moments to reflect and to consider, and then we'll take the bread and the cup together.